0: Well, um, we've been considering the Gospel of John all semester long, looking particularly y'all, at uh, what it means to see Jesus, not as uh, what we wish him, what we wish of him, but as John presents him to us. And tonight, we really do get a clear picture of um, what John is wanting us to see, and that is that we might believe in Jesus. He wants to remind us that if we can't see Jesus, if we don't understand who He is, in no way will we come to believe believe anything about Him. Well, tonight, as Allie just read, we we come tonight to a very important and prominent uh, text in uh, the book of John. Uh, This evening, the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus is a text that many of us perhaps are familiar with. And um as we all know, right, familiarity has this way of making things of making us numb. If you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean you hear things enough, you become so common with them, you can numb. You know what I mean? And so I'm actually praying tonight that there might be fresh ways. And so I just want to ask you, how do we deal with things that have become passe? That that we've heard a hundred times, perhaps? How do we deal? What what how how can we hear? Well, Tonight, we're going to look at some of the most controversial, and I choose that word very intentionally, controversial words in all of John's gospel spoken by Jesus. Now, it doesn't appear like it on the surface, but as we get into it, I'm going to show you there is, there are hard words to hear, and it's talking about tonight about the uh, the new birth. So, uh, y'all, we all know that appearances can be deceiving, Right? I mean, think about this. Um, it's a question, really, of what is real. And I think you, you think you, I think you know what I mean, that just because something looks like something on the outside doesn't mean that it actually is on the inside or at its essence or in its nature. Here's what I mean. A few years ago, Holiday Inn, the the, you know, the hotel deal, had this brilliant series of commercials. Y'all know what I'm talking about that was, no, but I did sleep at a Holiday Inn, or I just stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And one of the commercials that plays out is like this. Um, it's the, the scene is the inside of a nuclear reactor. And it's about to, there's about, they're about to melt down. And a, a man, quickly, who's like chewing a, a donut and holding a cup of coffee, and he's got his pocket protector and you know, his glasses on, looking quite nerdy and engineering. Sorry, engineers. Um, he walks over and, uh, and he's, he said, he qu- quickly provides orders about what to do to, you know, avert this meltdown. And the men are at their controls and they quickly, they're waiting on pins and needles to see what happens after following the man's advice. And lo and behold, it works. I mean, the, the, the core temperature comes down, disaster is averted. And one of the engineer types who was sitting at the table stands up and hugs the guy and he says, are you new to the team? And, uh, the man replies, oh no, no, I'm with the tour group. Uh, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And the idea there is that it's quite humorous, right? Is that, you know, you're smarter for staying at a Holiday Inn Express, so you know how to handle these things. But the joke is that he wasn't really what he presented himself to be. That, that's where the punchline is. We, we kind of get that. And again, the point is simple. Just because you look and behave like something or someone on the outside, it doesn't make you really that person on the inside necessarily. I think we all know that. Or do we? Do we? John shows us here in this interaction that Jesus has with this religious leader named Nicodemus. He shows us an inquisitive religious person who believed like many of us instinctively believe that if we look the part, if we play the part, then surely we are what we look and play. Let me put that, let me say it again. That if we look the part, and if we play the part, then surely we are what we look and play. And I think before you jump on Nicodemus and want to, you know, your cat claws come out and you want to get into him, if you peel back the layers, I think that you'll see a profound question there underneath uh, Nicodemus' interaction with him, and that is this. How in the world can any of us find fellowship with God? That's a question that all of us have, no matter if you're a religious person or you're not. Even if you don't believe in God, that question, I would venture to guess, is still there. And this is an important question that Jesus speaks uh, to us in John in no uncertain terms. He is saying, y'all listen, that a Christian isn't made by what's on the outside. Jesus says, rather... A radical event must happen, something so new, something so radical, it can only be described with these words. Are you ready? A new birth. He says this very familiar thing that we've heard before, you must be born again. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear those words, born again, I immediately start thinking of like crazy things. First of all, when I begin to think of the word born again as it's applied to Christianity, I think of fundamentalist, boring, anti-cultured, uber right-winged, hate-filled, hate-filled people. Because that's what our media sort of shows is what it means to be a born again person. And I just want to show you that that's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay, that, that our culture has sort of hijacked this word born again and applied it to a certain type of Christian. And I just want to show you that tonight, Jesus is saying, there is no other type of Christian than one that is born again. If you are born again, you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you are born again. So it's redundant, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, those born again Christians, like, are, are there any other kind? You see what I'm saying? Like that, that's, that's what you have to understand first. And then when Jesus uses the word, he's talking about something altogether different. Something absolutely necessary for spiritual life. So what that means, y'all, is this. Jesus is not talking about peripheral matters tonight. He is talking about what sits at the very heart and core of Christianity. And because He is doing so, listen, He is saying to Nicodemus, Jesus is saying this when He says you must be born again, He is saying, I didn't just come to reform you, I came to transform you. I didn't just come to help you in your spiritual efforts but to show you actually how useless they are. I didn't just come to perfect your religious practices, but to shatter them. In short, Jesus is saying, I didn't just come to help you improve your relationship with me, but to utterly renew it. And therefore, tonight we're looking at the new birth, or you might hear me say being born again, or I'll use the word, the technical word, the doctrine of regeneration. And Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus shows us three things. The need for the new birth, the impossibility of the new birth, and lastly, the surprise of the new birth. The the, the, the need for the impossibility and the surprise of the new birth. Let's take a look, firstly, at this need for the new birth. And uh, you'll see it there in uh, verses 1 through 5. Now, Right off the bat, we see Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. And he says to him, he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, there in verse 2, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless, you, unless uh, God is with him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, y'all, that is entirely interesting because... If you begin to know who Nicodemus was, we need to ask that question. Who was Nicodemus? And first of all, the text tells us that he was a Pharisee. Now, most of us sort of, when we hear Pharisees, they're the guys we like to poo-poo on in the Bible, okay? We're the guys we like to sort of get all upset about and say they were, you know, they were all rule keepers and legalistic. And I always say that's true in a sense. But y'all, they're the people who knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. And you know what? They didn't just know it, they loved it. And they were folks the men and then their families were, were people who loved to walk in God's ways. So their ethics were pure. They, they were people who loved their neighbors, right? And then notice that also it says Nicodemus was a ruler, which means that he was part probably of the ruling class of the Jews known as the Sanhedrin. These were the folks that were the sort of religious political elite. I mean, you got to think maybe something akin to like our Senate or something like that, Okay. He had power and influence. But did you know also that he looks at Jesus and his confession is actually right about who Jesus is too. He says to Jesus, he says, you are a teacher from God. And isn't that interesting? Because I think you would begin to think, well, look, this guy's got it all. He's got the religious pedigree. He's living the right life. He's even saying the right things about God. And surprisingly enough, Jesus looks at him, metaphorically pointing his his finger right in his face, and he says, Nicodemus... You, you must be born again. Now that's telling to us because that means, and that's going to show us, y'all, that he is saying no amount of pedigree, no amount of family status, no amount of moral significance or efforts are ever going to bring you into fellowship with God. And therefore, something else is required. What is it? Y'all, it has to be what Jesus says, a second birth a spiritual one in the individual. That is why he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, why then do we need it? Why then do we need this new birth? If it's so necessary, why do we need it? And here is why. The effects of sin have so corrupted and turned our hearts in on ourselves and away from God. Now, you might go, what are you talking about? Here's what I simply mean. It means that the effects of sin literally take your heart and go like that, reprogram it, to make it where you don't love God. And if you think I'm just making that up, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 verse 7. If you have your phones, go there. If you have your Bibles, let's read there. Romans 8 verse 7. The Bible makes clear that man, apart from this regenerating work of God, apart from this new birth, is not neutral to God. It's not like he's like, yeah, I mean, God's kind of a cool guy, and- and he uh, <clears throat> might be a guy I like to hang out with or go to a football game with or something like that, but I don't really, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent towards God. The Bible says no. The heart is not neutral to God, the heart is actually hostile to God. Listen to what Romans 8 7 says For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is the heart that has not been reborn, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, It's not that it doesn't want to. It's not that it won't. It's not even that it does sometimes and it does the other. It's that it cannot. It does not have the ability to submit and to enjoy and to love God. And therefore, if our hearts are like this, y'all, we need new ones. That's plain and simple. And that's what I'm talking about earlier from the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to put it up on the screen right here, and you can read what I read earlier tonight. Uh, There it is. I'm going to go back to the other quote. He says this. Ezekiel says this. He says, I will take from you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle you clean with water. Sprinkle clean water on you. There it is. That's the, that is the being born of water and the Spirit. So the water part, here comes the Spirit, right? And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you, there it is, a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, a heart, uh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he was saying, this must happen in you, buddy. In all your pedigree, doesn't matter jack squat in the words of Matt Foley, uh, if, if this hadn't happened. Now, Jesus says that without this new heart, you cannot have eternal life. Your reforms won't do. You need a new you. We need hearts that will love God, and the natural heart does not and cannot. We must be, y'all, born again. Born again. And that's why J.I. Packer goes back and he says this, and this is the last quote I'm going to give you for the night, but it is so money. And he's talking about the new birth when he says regeneration. Listen very carefully. This is so gold. So gold. Regeneration is the spiritual change wrought, that word means brought about, in the heart of man or woman by the Holy Spirit in which his or her inherently sinful nature is changed so that he or she can respond to God in faith and live in accordance to His will. That's what happens in the new birth. That is what is necessary. And I think you can begin to see now, Why we need it. Without it, we can't see God. Now listen, I just want to say this. I know that there are a ton of students on this campus that are doing all the right religious things. They come from families who have grown up in church. They know their Bibles backwards and forwards. And Jesus is going to look at them and sadly say, you must be born again. You see, religious people, religious types have been put on notice right now. Because that means that you can look apart on the outside and there can be a dead, cold heart on the inside. And I just simply want to ask you, what is the thing that you are relying on between you and God? What is the thing that you are putting your hopes and your trust in? And I simply want to say, are you willing to admit I've talked to students about this before and this is amazing a student came up to me not long ago and said I don't I grew up in church my whole life I went to all these camps I've done all these things I've memorized my Bible I don't think I'm a Christian that's powerful that's powerful because it meant that this person was willing to admit something that was very very hard to admit That I have been playing church and playing Christian my whole life. And the whole thing that I've put my stake in and my basis on for my salvation have been my own good religious efforts. And I'm learning in RUF that none of that counts. I don't think I'm a Christian. Y'all, that was me too. That was me in college. Where are you tonight? I just simply want to ask that. Let that question sit with you. It's a lofty claim. We must be born again. If this must happen to us to experience fellowship and intimacy with God, what then does John teach us about what we do to get it? And the answer comes, and here's where things get unsettling. Unsettling, yes. How so? Well, let's take a look at the next point when the, this shows us the impossibility of the new birth. The, I mean, we're, just, we're going down, right? Well, look at it. Jesus uses the image of a new birth he has done so very intentionally. He wants us to see that a new birth is something, ready? <clears throat> that happens to us. He says you must be born again. It's a passive thing that happens to us. You must be born again. Think about the birth of a child, right? The ch- what does a child do to get born? Nothing. Nothing. They don't do anything. The mother labors. She cries, there is work, there is effort, but it's not on the part of the child. A baby is born by the work of another. And how that happens to you, you did nothing to be born physically. You didn't. The same thing applies to us spiritually. You do nothing to be reborn. It is impossible, ready? I'm going to use it's impossible for you to rebirth yourself. That is entirely the work of another. It's entirely the work of God. And Jesus, therefore, is showing y'all that it is impossible to be born again. It is impossible for us to be born again. It is something that happens to us, not something by us. By themselves, we do not have the ability to love and to trust God. We need and we get, thankfully, a heart transplant. And that's what we talked about earlier. Listen like this. I shared this illustration in a freshman Bible study not too long ago, and I think it resonated, so I want to share it with with y'all. The Bible calls us, he says, and Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, you can write that reference down, he says that you and me, apart from the work of regeneration in our lives, are dead in our sins and trespasses. So the image there really is of dead people. And I think about it like this. We often think about salvation as we are in, uh, like we're overboard in the ocean, right? And we're sort of there in the water and we're flailing about and maybe we're, help, help, help. And we're, and we're waiting there and we're, somebody throws the, that little white thing, that ring overboard and we, we grab onto it and then they pull us in and hallelujah, we're saved. And we sort of think that Christian life is like that, Right? Things are going kind of bad. I need a little bit of help. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to play the metaphor, here's where he puts you. Not floating in the water. You're 100 feet down. Your lungs are full of water. And you're dead. That's where you are. You're dead. And I want to ask you something, class. What, does, what do dead people do? Nothing. They don't do a dadgum thing. They can't do anything. And that's why he's trying to say it's impossible. It is impossible for you to be born again by your own efforts. And so, what you need is you need somebody to plunge down from the bottom of the ocean floor, pick you up, put you on the shore, and breathe new life into you. That's the only way that you will ever experience the new birth. You are completely helpless. Without the work of God. That's why he is saying you must be born again. It is impossible for us to do. And and I just want to say this. You need to now begin feeling a tension. Because God has said you must do something. You must be something that you can't do. Do you feel the tension? Right? I mean, it would be somebody saying like this. You've got lung cancer. You need a lung transplant. And then handing you the scalpel. Right? You cannot perform your own lung transplant. You can't do it, not and keep your life. It's impossible. You need somebody else from the outside to work on you from the inside. And I just want to say this: My takeaway here for you is this is: do you find yourself always, 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 trying to prove yourself with your friends and with God, Or are you able, y'all, to admit your helplessness? Are you able to own your lack? Are you able to say, I am a needy man and a needy woman? Because let me tell you, at TCU's culture, at TCU's campus, that is virtually impossible to actually say and mean. Because y'all live in a world, I've been here longer than all of you. You live in a world where it is for you to admit any sort of weakness or any sort of vulnerability puts a target on you. It ostracizes you, and so you won't do it. And so the the idea is just keep up the facade, right? Keep up, put the mask on, and I'll just hide. And I'll appear to look good, and so on and so forth. And what what I believe that Christianity is calling us to is to begin to create a culture that's opposite that. You see, girls, do y'all create a space where people do not have to, where your friends do not have to be perfect? That, and that you don't have to perpetuate a cycle of perfection in their lives. Like, think about it like this. Um, what do you think it does to one of your friends when you comment on their Instagram posts, you're perf? <laughs> right? Or, or oh, OMG, um, you know, I love you so much. Um, I w- I, you're, you're absolutely perfect. Just, just pause for a second. If that's you being spoken about, that's like uh, crack cocaine, by the way, if you need approval, right? Because it's somebody giving you exactly what you want. But there's a demon in that too. And that demon says this, well, what happens if I'm not perfect? Because we all know the Instagram life ain't real life. I mean, what are you cropping out, right? What are you cropping out? Right? Fellas, like, like, do you have, do you get, are you creating a space where guys can actually be vulnerable around you about their imperfections? I mean, do you have friends, or do you have an environment, as a Christian, do you have a place where guys can come to you and be a mess, something that's very hard for us as men to do? It is virtually impossible for guys to say, man, I am struggling with X, Y, and Z, I do not have it all together. I just want to be awesome, and I just want her to like me, and I'm so insecure. Well, fellas, listen, the news is out. We, Ladies, huge secret, we are all radically insecure. We're all radically insecure. We're so insecure, we can't even tell you that we're insecure. In fact, the men who are most strong are able to own that. They're able to own that. And the reason they're able to do it is because deep down, underneath it all, they have a, res- they have a deeply profound sense that Jesus welcomes into his company, and his presence, needy people. And so because of that, they're freed to be able to be needy around each other. I just simply ask you, it's a huge takeaway. What sort of culture are you creating on this campus? Y'all, TCU needs it. It needs a place where people can chill to freak out, don't you think? They just, I mean, you don't have to be involved in 20 clubs. You know what I mean? You don't have to tell everybody how things are going. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. <laughs> i got to study for... I mean, I hear it, okay? It's like you kind of just want to say to somebody, you know, chill out. I mean, it's all right. You know, come, come, uh, come hang out with me or something. Just chill. I, you get my point, right? You get my point. I'm trying to say need is a beautiful thing because it's our need. That's, that's, that is the thing that gets us uh, into fellowship with God. Well, lastly... This idea then, that the surprise of the new birth. Y'all, here's where the new birth becomes surprising. And I need to wind down, so I'm just going to go quickly on this. Um, I just want you to see that the surprise of the new birth is that there in verse 15, do you see it? Jesus says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so that so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. The surprise of the new birth, y'all, is that anyone, anyone, Anyone can have it. Anybody can have it. And here's the great thing, is that we often think this, we often think, okay, I've got it. if I have enough faith, then I can be reborn. Let me tell you something, that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying this, that faith is a product, it's an outflow of the new birth. You don't, you don't have to have enough faith to get reborn. Because that puts it all back in your area, in your arena. And that if God looks at you and you can sort of impress Him with enough faith, that then He'll say, oh, that's good enough. You need to be reborn. No. You ain't got jack. Where are you? Ocean floor, right? Ocean floor. But God brings us up and He gives us this great grace called faith. That we, That your faith, if you believe in God, that is a gift given to you. You did not generate it. You did not own it you did not do anything to create it, God gave that to you. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You can read about it. It is a gift from God, verbatim. And I want to say this, that that's what the surprise is. The rebirth, the surprise of the rebirth, is that God actually gives us the thing necessary to grasp onto Him. He gives us spiritual arms. He gives us a spiritual heart to be able to receive Jesus. And the last thing I want to say is this, how do we know this is true? Well, in closing, in that last verse there in uh, chapter 3, in chapter 3 in verse 15, Jesus is telling about this weird story from Moses, something about a serpent being lifted up. What in the heck is going on? And why is Jesus picking this obscure passage from Numbers chapter 21? Well, here's what it was. The people were in the wilderness, Moses was leading them. They were bickering, they were fighting, they were they were so Red-hot, angry at God, because He was not giving them what they wanted. Their hearts were so dadgum- selfish. They had already been delivered. they had already been taken out of Israel, I mean, Egypt, and they were now free. They were no longer slaves. And they're like, "God, we hate you. you brought us out here to die." And God says, "I've had it, man. I've just, I, I've just had it." And so He sends snakes, and they start biting the people, and the people begin to plead for mercy. And God says to Moses, I want you to build a bronze snake and I want you to hold it up. And anybody that looks at that snake will be healed. And what this text is telling us is that those people did not do it. They didn't have to crawl up to touch it. They didn't have to grovel back to it. They had to do one thing. They had to look. They had to see. And John is telling us that Jesus is the thing to which that snake pointed. That if you will look up and you will see Jesus you too will be healed. That you too, believing in Him, is a product of that new birth. And so somebody says this, and this is where I'll close. Well, gosh, if all that relies on God, then how in the world can I know that I've been reborn? You see what I'm saying? You see the dilemma? And here's the dilemma. If you know that it relies on God and that you can't do anything about it, guess what? you know exactly what it means to be reborn. Because it means that you're not putting your trust in yourself, but you're putting your confidence in what the work of God has done in Jesus on the cross. And what this means is this, y'all. That means that you did nothing to get your salvation. Not a dadgum thing. And here's why that's so helpful. Because that means if you didn't do anything to get it, there is nothing that you can do to lose it. And that's profoundly comforting on your worst days. You see, when you've blown it, you need to hear a word from God and Him saying, You're still mine. I still love you. You're still my child. I don't care who you slept with, I don't care what substance you're addicted to. You are mine. So come home, come back, come to me, look to me. The new birth. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And it's the greatest miracle that will ever happen in your life. That your dead, stony heart, that God gave you a heart transplant and He gave you a new heart to look to Him, to be able to believe in Him. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You would do this for us. And we ask now that You would take these things and make them real for us. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.